Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, where we help you to build a life of purpose and joy. Our aim is to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence. I'm your host, Julie Clough, Life Coach and Certified Grief Recovery Specialist. Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 57, Emotional Illiteracy. Say that three times fast. Emotional Illiteracy. (laughs) Can I first talk about losing a crown on my tooth? That was weird. I was chewing a piece of gum that my mom handed me, and I just never chew gum. And as I was chewing this gum, I was sitting in church next to my mom when I was visiting her in Nashville. And as I was chewing on this piece of gum, I kept thinking, there's something weird going on on this left side. Like, it was like, felt like the gum was, I don't know what was going on. I do now (laughs) because after continuing to experiment on that left side and try to figure out what was going on, my crown popped off. That was what was going on was as I was chewing, it was loosening my crown and it popped off. What was interesting to me was I was out of town when it happened. I, that was a Sunday and I didn't get home for another nine days. So by the time I got to the dentist to have it cemented back in permanently. So I used some temporary cement which I didn't even know existed until this happened, but I'm sitting in church Googling what to do when your crown falls off because it's like Sunday and I'm out of town and I'm thinking I can't get to my dentist right away. So I looked it up and there's this temporary cement glue stuff (laughs) that you can use to pop your crown back on temporarily until you get to the dentist. Well, I kept using it. it There's quite a bit of it. So I, I didn't do a good job at first and it would only last like 24 hours and it would pop back off and then I had to glue it back in and then it pop back off and I'm glue it back in. Anyway, it was, it was a disaster, but I, I glued it back in the day that I went to go speak at this event in St. George, Utah. And it lasted until Tuesday when I went to go get it fixed permanently by the dentist. It was the first time I put it in. It actually lasted for a few days and it actually felt pretty comfortable. Well, when you have something in your mouth like that, that's not comfortable. If you're like me, you're like fiddling with it. I mean, I was trying to avoid it because I didn't want to pop it back off, but it was, it was bothering me. So I was eating on the right side. It was, it happened on the left side. So I was eating all my meals and chewing on the right side. And I was doing all these things that, you know, to try to avoid that left side. And, and it felt funny in my mouth because it was just not, it wasn't a good fit. You know, the glue kind of created more of a layer. So it was a little higher than it should have been. And, you know, all this nuttiness. And when I finally got it corrected when I finally got it fixed by the dentist. It was perfect. Like it was like it had never happened. It felt great. It was wonderful. But I had created a habit over those nine days of chewing on the right side and avoiding the left side and having this thing in my mouth that was annoying. And it was so interesting to me to see how ingrained that habit was just after eight or nine days it really helps you realize what, how strong habits are, like how automatic they are. 
So when we're struggling to, maybe I'll do a whole episode about this, but when we're struggling to change a habit, just recognize that, you know, for however long you've had that habit, it's going to take some work to undo it. And after a few days, you know, I was chewing normal again and it wasn't, I wasn't so focused on it anymore and it was great, but it really was super fascinating to me how quickly I formed this habit of chewing on the right, avoiding the left and doing some things that were just unique to that situation. All right. So let's talk about emotional illiteracy. As a society, what are we super focused on? You go to school. It's all about achievement. It's all about intellectual prowess. It's all about what we learn. It's all about our knowledge. And we have forgotten our humanity. What makes us human is our emotions. Our emotions, our feelings are clues to what we're thinking, which is where it all comes from. And the more clarity, the more clarity you can get around your emotions, the more clarity you have around your thoughts. This is the best work. It is the most worthwhile work to learn more about yourself, your thoughts, and your emotions. I remember when I was dealing with PTSD and I was seeing a therapist and I remember my therapist saying to me, you don't feel your emotions. You're not good at it. I'm like, what? All I'm doing is feeling my emotion. It feels awful. I could describe how my emotions were feeling, but I couldn't identify the emotions. It sounds like talking in circles, but let me explain. So we, we say things like, I feel terrible, I feel awful, I feel horrible, or even more generic, this is awful, this is terrible, this is horrible. But don't, we don't really identify the actual emotion. I don't know if that makes sense, but you think about the, the Disney characters, the inside out characters, joy, anger, sadness, disgust, fear. There just weren't a lot of instructions on how to feel our emotions or what it even was. But let's just talk about like why I called this emotional illiteracy. And interestingly, when I looked up emotional literacy, guess what came up? Emotional literacy is actually a term that was used by Claude Steiner. This is uh, 1997. This is what they said about it. This is from Wikipedia, actually. Emotional literacy is made up of the ability to understand your emotions, the ability to listen to others and empathize with their emotions, and the ability to express emotions productively. So it's a little bit like emotional intelligence. It goes on to say to be emotionally literate is to be able to handle emotions in a way that improves your personal power and improves the quality of your life, of the life around you. Emotional literacy improves relationships, creates loving possibilities between people, makes cooperative work possible, and facilitates the feeling of community. Steiner breaks emotional literacy into five parts. These are super, these are really good parts that it's broken into. So first is knowing your feelings. Second is having a sense of empathy. Third is learning to manage your emotions. 
Fourth is repairing emotional problems. And fifth is putting it all together, emotional interactivity. What we're going to talk about today is knowing your feelings. See, I view emotional illiteracy as not having a vocabulary for our emotions. So if we think about knowing your feelings, if we can't identify them, if we can't label them, how can we know them? So first we have to be able to identify what we're feeling. So again, think about the movie characters, joy, anger, sadness, disgust, and fear. Isn't it interesting that there's only one positive emotion in this group of five emotions? I just find that so fascinating. And you could see in each character how they personified those emotions. And we often say we want to feel happy, but what causes us to feel happy? It's our thoughts that make us feel happy. So really ask yourself what makes you feel happy. Some of the things that I kind of came top of mind when I thought about, you know, what makes us happy or what makes us feel happy or, or have feelings of joy. And I thought of things like playing with a puppy listening to a baby giggle, hiking in the mountains, swimming in the ocean. It's not actually the thing that's happening that's creating the happiness. It's the thought you're having about what's happening that makes you happy. What if you think puppies or babies are annoying? There are people out there that think that way and and they're not going to feel happy around puppies and babies. It's not because the puppies or babies It's not because of them. It's because of their thoughts about them. If you love getting out in nature and hiking and smelling the pine trees and breathing the crisp air, then you are going to have good feelings when you're out hiking. And thoughts can change. (laughs) Let me tell you about the hike we went on on Saturday. We picked up, my husband Ron and I picked up our eight-year-old granddaughter and took her out hiking. And we went, we drove up into the mountains up above the Sundance Ski Resort here in Utah. And it was a beautiful day for a November day. It, it up, even up in the mountains, it was at the 50, it was 50 something degrees. And as we went to go hike, we parked in this, it was like a, a state park. And we parked in this parking lot and off of that parking lot, there were several, several different hikes that you could take. So we started off on one trail. We started on this one trail and it was really icy and snowy. And I was wearing tennis shoes. Our granddaughter was wearing tennis shoes. She was really sliding around a lot. And right at the beginning of the hike was a really steep It was kind of like steep, like a staircase. If you think about the incline of a staircase, now you think about the incline of a staircase and make that flat going up. In other words, there's no steps (laughs) and then make it icy. And that was the hike, you know, going up from the first floor to the second floor. That was the beginning of the hike. And we were going up this icy trail trying to get up this hill. Now, I personally think it's a lot easier to climb up an icy, snowy trail than it is to get back down. But as I got towards the top of that incline, 
I saw a family coming back the other direction and I have no idea how they did it, but it was a couple with their daughter who looked like she was probably around four. And then the mom had a baby in a pack on her back. And as we were coming up, she's, as we came kind of the top of that hill or that incline, she was coming down the trail on her bottom. She was actually sliding and she was sliding all the way down the trail because it was so icy and snowy. And then we got up to that upper part and it was narrow. It was icy. It was snowy. And there was a, a drop off. And my granddaughter and I, neither one of us were feeling very good about this. So like, that's what I mean by thoughts can change. Like we, we wanted to go hiking. We were, we were anticipating going hiking. We were enjoying being outside, but our thoughts about it changed when it got scary. And it got scary because what were we thinking? We're thinking we're sliding all over the place. This is dangerous. We're going to slide off the side of this mountain. So we didn't get very far on that trail. I, I would say probably a quarter of a mile when we finally were like, we're turning around and we're going back. So we actually got off of that trail, turned around, went back and got on another trail that wasn't icy. It had a little bit, but you could definitely get around it. It wasn't nearly as steep. It wasn't a problem at all. It wasn't, there wasn't this drop off. It wasn't narrow. So the circumstances changed, but our thoughts about the circumstances changed. And when our thoughts changed, our experience changed. All right. So if you love the ocean like I do, any time spent at the ocean's edge, listening to the surf, feeling the warm sand on my feet, getting in the surf is a wonderful time. But hear this, with the right thought you can literally sit at your kitchen table and feel happy. It really does have everything to do with your thoughts. What are you thinking? But it's not just about being happy or sad. How can you expand your emotional vocabulary? And I just want to go back to what I was just saying about with the right thought, you can literally sit at your kitchen table and feel happy. Because if you are currently grieving this may not be the time that you want to feel happy. You you have a circumstance that you want to feel bad about. You want to feel sad about. And that is totally okay. It's not about trying to feel happy all the time. Okay, I just want to get that out there. But it is important to expand your emotional vocabulary. I really suggest that you search and print an emotional chart. So you can just look, look that up on the internet. Just put emotion chart. And for example, when you feel happy or joyful, you can get more specific about the emotion. So if you look at an emotions chart, it's going to list all these different emotions. And some of the charts, one of the charts, some of the charts that I really like are the circular charts where kind of in the, in the center, there might be six to 10 emotions, like, for example, happy or joyful. And then as the wheel goes out, they get more and more refined in their, in their descriptions of the emotion. So more specific happy feelings include elated, glad, playful, uplifted, cheerful, abundant, grateful, buoyant. 
See how each of those words you can associate with happy, but it's a totally different feel. So as we get better at identifying our emotions, we get better at understanding how we're feeling. When you feel peace, you could be feeling relaxed, centered, calm, relieved, present. Those are just some of the examples that would go along with peace. Can you see how being more specific can be super powerful and can really cause you to be more present with your emotion? Let's take fear. Words that are more specific in the fear category might include rejected, confused, insecure, anxious, isolated, terrified, panicked. Other words that might describe our grief and related emotions to sadness might include lonely, ashamed, depressed, guilty, heavy-hearted, defeated, regretful, despairing. Now, when I say depressed, I'm not talking about clinical depression where you are non-functioning for weeks at a time. If you are feeling clinically depressed, if you have any thoughts of suicide or anything like that, I urge you to contact a medical professional right away or call the hotline, call the suicide hotline. I'm going to give that number to you right now, because if you're listening and you're feeling that, I really strongly cannot suggest enough that you call this number. So pick up the phone right now. If that's how you're feeling, pick up the phone right now and call one 800 Okay, so why am I talking about this? Because the first step in feeling your feelings is being able to label them. We've gotten super lazy with identifying our emotions. We think that we can use generalized words and gain power over our experiences. And I think we first need to identify what we're feeling. Use the generalized word as a clue and then get more and more specific. Now let's talk about anger. Have you ever heard of anger as a secondary emotion? Anger is like if you visualize a iceberg and you've seen pictures of icebergs and you know how like you've got the, the ocean And then the tip of the iceberg is up above the water and underneath the water is 80, 90% of the iceberg is underneath the water. It's what's showing above the level of the ocean. And that's like anger. Anger is like the tip of the iceberg. It's what's showing. But underneath all that anger is coming from other emotions like frustration, pain, hurt, shame, guilt. Anger allows us to boil over like a pot and release some of the energy of our emotions, which actually in some cases can make us feel better, but it actually doesn't solve anything. It's, it's a temporary, it's a temporary release but it doesn't actually help us deal with the emotions underneath. If you feel angry, it's super important to start writing out what's going on and identifying where the anger is coming from. Have you been hurt? Have you been let down? Are you frustrated? What, what emotions 
are under that iceberg? What emotions are under the water of that iceberg? For some reason, we feel it is more socially acceptable to display anger than it is to display sadness. More acceptable to display anger instead of hurt or anger instead of shame and guilt. And I think it's because anger feels strong. It feels powerful, but it's a false sense of strength and power. All right. These are all emotions that we all deal with. We are human beings having a very human experience and getting emotionally literate by getting a good list of emotions. Again, Google emotions chart for some examples can really help us to understand what we're feeling. Find a chart that you like and start identifying your emotions each day. It's the first step in understanding your emotions. And when we can understand our emotions, we can start to understand our thoughts. And did you know that all your actions are taken from your emotions? Emotions aren't bad. None of them. Like even the emotions that feel bad, aren't bad, but our actions do come from our emotions. And sometimes we can act inappropriately. We can hurt others because we're hurting. And that part's, that part's not okay. That's, that doesn't feel good when we hurt other people. So we want to identify our emotions and find positive ways to let off steam or deal with them instead of exploding all over the people that we love. After you've identified your emotion, then describe how it feels in your body. Where are you feeling that? Remember how we talked about emotions are energy and motion. We feel the energy of it. We feel the vibration of it. Giving it this attention will help you to either amplify the emotions that you want, you know, the happy emotions that you want to continue to feel or dissipate the unpleasant emotions. Once you've allowed the emotion to run its course, Identify what you were thinking that created this emotion. The more you can identify the thought that created the emotion, again, the more you can duplicate the emotions you want to feel over and over, and the more you can gain power over the emotions that you want to lessen in the future. Keep in mind, you will never, ever, ever, ever eliminate negative emotions from your life. And you really don't want to. The contrast is what makes life beautiful. We can't appreciate the sweet without the contrast of the bitter. If you want help with this, if you've experienced a loss of any kind, whether it's moving, whether it's a career loss, whether it's a death in your family or your friends, or whether it's a divorce, any type of loss, if you feel distracted, confused, sad, I have an action program that can guide you through and help you regain your personal power and your confidence. Let's talk. It may or may not be the right program for you. It may not, but I offer a free one hour discovery session. And even in that one hour, you're going to gain so much clarity and understanding. It's, and it's absolutely no cost to you. So send me an email at julie at buildalifeafterloss.com. Or click on the schedule button in the show notes. I'm right here waiting to help. I believe in you. Love you. Bye. Bye.